You know, I was, uh, I was watching the, thanks, Ruth. I, I was watching the video in the first service, at the 9.30 service, and, and I looked out as the rock music was playing, and all of the 9.30 folks were going, not going, not me. And we had an intergenerational choir with, uh, with about 15 kids right in the middle of that. I looked at them, and they're all going, this is great, this is great. The, the Pulse event on the 18th, is an attempt to say, what would it be like if we could get 50, 60, 80,000 people together and, and talk about Jesus with kids and grandparents in the same stadium? So they want to do three things. They want to introduce this guy, uh, Nick Hall, who uh, has, uh, there is no next generation's Billy Graham, but he has the same sense of calling to talk about Jesus to, to different generations, and he's really gifted. To, second, we want to bring younger and older together. And third, even though most of the folks there will be church folks singing praises to God, we want to offer a place to talk about God that's not church. So over 700 churches here in the Twin Cities are gathering together to partner for that. Many will go, many more will stay away, but they will pray that God will do something special. We hope that you'll pray with us. Lord God, I thank you very much that there are others who will speak out in the public places about you and that whether it's one or a thousand or 10,000, people might respond for the first time to your love. May it be so. And now, in the words of the Old Testament, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O rock and redeemer. Amen. Uh, how many of you are older brothers or sisters? How many of you are older brothers? And it's not a trick question, really. I'm not saying, are you the oldest? You know, the, many of you are the third of, well, not many of you are the third of seven, but maybe there are some of you that are the second of four and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm the oldest of four boys. And I told my parents repeatedly, I thought they should have quit while they were ahead. Uh, my youngest brother lives over in St. Paul, and he says they just kept doing it until they got it right. And, and so it's been, you know, it's been a brother kind of thing all of my life. You know what, though? There are no great older brother stories. For some reason, there's only stories that make fun, make fun of the older brother. This came home to me uh, the, uh, the night of my rehearsal dinner before we got, uh, Laura and I got married, and uh, uh, I was, it was also my 31st birthday, so we're there at the rehearsal dinner, and the, the, my brothers get up and they roast me as I, I expected until it got to my youngest brother, Joe, who got up and said, I want to tell all of you a story. You know, he's the football player, he's the scholar, he's the priest. You know, it was a little freaky for my mom that her son, the priest, was getting married, but she was trying to get over that. 
And uh, he said, I want to tell you about the priest here. And she said, when we grew up, John was reading books all the time. He loved to read books. He burned through library cards like crazy. And he'd go to the library, and the problem was you could only take out five books at a time. And he would take out, and then every once in a while, he'd slip an extra one in there into the pile and take it home with him. And then he saw how easy that was, so John started to slip in two extra books into the pile. And the good news was the books he slipped out it's another word for stolen, but we'll talk slipped out. Uh, these books, he didn't have to return them at the same time, and so they started to accumulate up in our room, uh, it, uh, up on the second floor, and my mother is just staring at my back. I can tell that because I am afraid to turn around. And, and, and so and he goes, wait, 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 it gets worse. Dad, he would take these books, John would take these books and he'd just toss them into the attic where nobody ever came. And then Dad, you remember that year, he decided to remodel the attic. John had to go in and grab up all the books and put them in boxes and hide them. And you know where he hid them? He went out into the backyard and he dug them up and he put them in a pit in the backyard. I swear to God, this is a true story. <laughs> and that's what my brother said and it was the truth and my mother at this point is going no no this is sacrilege for my poor mom and he goes and it gets worse yet and he said you remember mom that year that you decided you want to make the garden bigger he had to dig the books up and he finally he could drive so he dug the books up and he took them to the library in the dead of the night and there were all these dirty books in boxes outside the library Mom, it was so great. And she's just like, my son. Well, everybody is howling. They love the story. And I'll admit, he told the story well. It was a good story. But for 34 years, that's the only story that my family has ever told about me ever again. Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every time. You remember that time the book thief went? That, that, that's how the older brother feels every time this story gets open. All the people with bad reputations were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told stories. Then it said, Jesus continued. There was a man with two sons. And the younger said to his father, please give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property and the young man went off and he blew it all in a far off country. And he came to his senses and he begged his father. He went back to beg his father for forgiveness. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, I've messed up against you and God. But the father says, break out the champagne. Let's have a feast. My son was dead, he's alive, he was lost, now he's found, and they started to party. Well, all this time, this whole time, the older son was out of the fields. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Your brother's come back. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he's safe and sound. The older brother got so angry, he wouldn't even go inside. So his father came out and pled with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been saving and slaving away for you and never disobeyed a single order, yet you never even gave me a sandwich to share with my friends. But when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, 
But when this son of yours, who's squandered your whole property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The father said, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this brother of yours, not this son of mine. This brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. The, this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, clearly the two most popular stories Jesus ever tells. Can you imagine how sick of this the older brothers get? Time after time after time. Oh, but then John stole the books. Everybody thought he was such a good guy. Let's not tell that story again. I'm an older brother in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and, and, and frankly, almost everybody in this room, not everybody, but almost everybody in this room is an older brother and an older sister too. Rembrandt paints a famous picture about the prodigal son and, and the one that you see behind the father, that's not the son. That's not the older son. The older son is behind him. You ought to look at the picture. He's in the shadows where nobody can see him. That's what he thinks. Nobody ever sees me. He always gets all the attention. He's in the shadows and he's quiet and the more he looks, the angrier he gets. Because he gets his sense of where he sits in the family from doing the right thing, from knowing the right answers, from showing up not the, I'll do it my way, son that runs and does everything and his father always makes excuses, always forgives him. He sits back there and he's just, he's just stewing. And, and what makes the problem for him is he knows that next Thanksgiving, when the family gathers, they're going to talk about this night. They're not going to talk about the time that he worked all night to get that paper done. They're not going to talk about the day that he graduated. They patted him on the back and said, that's great. You did a good job. They're not going to talk about the time he went out and got a good profit on the field next door. No, that's okay. You know, the problem for older sisters is that they don't have cool stories. We go to church and we want to hear about the cool stories. Older sisters don't have cool stories. They were never running away in Monaco doing all these terrible things in wild times and then after Jesus saved them, just that. they were in Sunday school. They did the right thing. They worked hard. Older brothers don't have the cool stories because they were doing the right thing. They were obeying their father and God and look who gets all the attention. Older brothers and sisters, they work hard. It's not like they feel like God owes them. They really don't. You don't. You don't feel like God owes you, but you feel like if anybody's going to get the cancer, it shouldn't be me. If anybody gets the attention, it shouldn't be her. They don't feel like God owes them. They're not, they're not giving the money to the capital campaign so that people will say, oh, what a good Christian but there's a sense in which they're saying, you know, this is how we play this game. This is how the life is supposed to go. And can I tell you, at the very root of this story, 
At the very root of the story, when somebody gets up and talks about how God saved them from misery and sorrow, the good people in the back are feeling like, yeah, and you love them more. They talk about girls who like the bad boys. God seems to somehow like the bad kids. But then there's the sense that you love them more than me. It, it, it gets hard. What, I, I've been reading this story for almost 50 years. And I love the part that it just struck me for the first time. The, the father comes out of the house with the older brother. And he says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Truer words never spoken. I didn't realize that. It's so true. Everything I have is yours because you've given away everything else to him. And now you're throwing this big feast with my inheritance. That just hit me. And you broke out the good wine for him? I was hoping. Welcoming back prodigals always costs somebody something. One of the things that is true of families that have a child with a long-term illness or a child that ends up being the source of great distress or a runaway or somebody who gets into distress is it does not just affect them. It affects the whole family. It sucks attention away from kids who are trying to do good. And they watch their mom at night crying and they go, I wonder how she'd feel if it was me. There's a sense in which the older brother always wonders, you love him more. And, and, and now you're throwing this huge party and it's costing me money. It doesn't seem fair. And you know what? It's not fair. It's not fair. The younger brother doesn't deserve to be loved more. But that's the way it feels. That's the way it feels. You know, we were supposed to do this series that Jake actually came up with. We were supposed to do this series for five weeks. We lost a week because of the snow. And I was today going to end this story, uh, end this series with the prodigal son story told in the Old Testament. You know, there's an Old Testament story, the prodigal son. It's about a prophet named Hosea. Hosea comes when Israel has messed up so bad that they're being punished. And they're still being bad even where they're being punished. And so, to symbolize how bad Israel has gotten, Hosea the prophet is commanded, this holy man is commanded to go out and marry a prostitute. Not a reformed prostitute, a prostitute that continues. And he brings her into his house and it gets ugly, the kids are a mess. And then, she not only continues to be a prostitute, she leaves him. Not the good guy leaves the bad girl, the bad girl leaves the good guy. And what does he do? Well, he goes out into the streets hunting for her, and he finds her with her pimp, and he pays her pimp to bring her home. And he renames their children, I love you and I love you more. It's a story of the links to which God will go to show love for people who don't always love him back. It's a great, great story. 
The guy who taught me this story said, whenever you preach that, you should end the church service with that old hymn that says, O love that will not let me go, because that's Hosea. His love will not let us go. It's a great story. And just like the story of the prodigal son that we're reading, we don't know how it ends. Does it end good or bad? But in the Old Testament, it shows God going out, seeking after his lost children. What's different here? The prodigal son's father does not go out. It says he stayed at the door watching for his son. Why doesn't the father run out after the prodigal? I think that unlike the story of Hosea, the prodigal's father doesn't go out because the prodigal has two sons. There's a tension between the brothers just the way there's a tension between brothers and sisters all through the Bible. Let's face it, David's brothers thought he was a jerk. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Uh, Jacob and Esau are twins, and they can't stand each other, try to kill each other, don't reconcile them until they are at the deathbed of their dad. Why doesn't the prodigal son's dad go chase him? Because there's another brother. And the older brother has forgotten the answer to the very first question in the Bible that human beings ask. Very first question in the Bible that human beings ask. I, this is one of those preacher things. You go back to the beginning and you count one question, two, three, four, five. It's actually the seventh question in the Bible. Genesis 3, seventh question. First question is by the devil. Did God really say you couldn't eat that? I think you can. The second one is God walking through the garden going, Adam, where are you? The third is, Adam, who told you you were naked? The fourth is God saying to the angels, we can't let them in, stay in here, can we? What do we do if they stay here and they live forever? Like that. And so they leave and they go out and Adam and Eve have children and with the children come the problems. So the fifth question God has is a question for the brother, the older brother. The first older brother is the first child ever born. The first older brother is Cain. And the first question is, why are you so mad? Just because I wouldn't accept your sacrifice. Be careful. The sixth question comes a little bit later when Cain, in a fit of anger, has killed his brother Abel. God comes looking for him and says, where's your brother? And that leads to the very first question human beings ever ask in the Bible. You remember what Cain's answer is? His answer is a question. Am I my... Please forgive the way I say this. Hell yes. You got the answer wrong. Am I my brother's keeper? Heavens, yes. And because Cain got the answer wrong, the older brother knows exactly how he feels. Cain should have gone to the ends of the earth trying to protect his younger brother, Abel, trying to bring him back to the father. It's the job of one brother for another, older or younger. The job of the older brother, the job of the older brother church. That's why... The prodigal son's father stays at home because there are two sons. 
Jesus comes for all the sons and all the daughters. Jesus loves all the sons and all the daughters. And Jesus sends the older brothers out to get the wanderers home. To say, come on home. Dad's not mad. Come home. It's time for dinner. Instead, the older brothers are going, stay away until you apologize. What's the sign of a church filled with uh, prodigals? They're big on grace. What's the sign of a church that's filled with older brothers? Sign of a church with older brothers is that the church is more about us than them. How much of our energy, how much of our creativity, how much of our budget, how many of our hero stories are about people who go out and help, who bring them in, who love them when they don't love back, who, who love the unlovable versus the normal church. Normal churches are built for older brothers. They're built by older sisters, and they are all about discipleship. They're all about this class, that course, this building edition. Are we going to be a church filled with older brothers like that? It's so interesting to me that there is the great commission that Jesus gives at the end of the Gospels. He dies, he's resurrected, he turns to his disciples, and what does he say? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to welcome them back with loving arms. Does he say that? No. He says, I want you to go out everywhere and love them and tell them that I can't wait to see them again. You know, the first sign of the kingdom of God is a party. The first sign of God's presence is there is life and joy and and celebration. God not only offers forgiveness and reconciliation and healing, God wants to lift these gifts up so that people will see them and enjoy them. In all three of the stories Jesus tells, Jesus tells the stories because the church people are angry that he's hanging with the bad people. He tells three stories. In all three of the stories, God rejoices and invites others to share in. Rejoice with me, the shepherd says, I found my sheep. Rejoice with me, the woman says, I found my coin. Rejoice with me, the father says, my son's alive from the dead. All of these are the voices of God. God wants us to rejoice. God doesn't want to keep joy to himself. He does not love the prodigals more, but he wants us all to rejoice. It's the joy of everybody, everybody who belongs to the kingdom. I'm so glad that uh, we started this series on a day where we had communion. We talked about the prodigal son and, and how the prodigal son is invited back to the table. But God's call to all the children, the older brothers and the prodigals every time is to rejoice and make a space at the table. And what I'd like us to do is to take just a minute to let that sink into our hearts before we come to communion. I'd like us to do it this way. I'd like you, if you would, please, close your eyes. Just for a minute. When you think about your story, 
Are you like me? Do you ping pong back and forth between being a, a prodigal that feels far from God and guilty? Not an older brother, older sister that does all the right things and doesn't feel like they're loved as much? Which one are you today? Tell God that. God, I'm sorry that I, I used to be a, a prodigal and I've turned into this older brother. I, I don't want to feel like I love you more because I give more money. I don't want to feel bad because they don't give as much money. You know? They don't. They gossip and I don't. I don't want to be that guy. I want to feel your love and grace reach out to me. I want to confess and come clean. So would you confess with me? Would you open your eyes and pray together with me what's up on the screen? Together, Father, grace is what drew me to you and saved me. Don't let me become a graceless moralist where grace is cheap words. Don't let me become that. Don't let me be an older brother. Together, please continue and complete the work of grace in me. Remind me that my job is to stay wrapped in grace, to dwell in the good news of the gospel, to share its love and comfort at your table.